global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SCS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And this is a very special STS special. Mahalo Maui is what we are calling it. Uh, This is really uh, another fundraiser uh, for the great people of Hawaii, uh, specifically uh, in Maui. It's been uh, decimated and devastated by the uh, wildfires there. Uh, As you all know, we did a show with the great Phil Waters, who I'm going to introduce in a moment. Um, A week ago, we were able to raise uh, over a thousand, close to two thousand dollars for uh, the Hawaii Community Foundation. And I am pleased today to introduce Micah Kane. Uh, He is CEO and president of the Hawaii Community Foundation, uh, who we did uh, um, donate money to. It is the state's largest and oldest foundation that works with individuals, families, foundations, government agencies, and organizations to transform lives and improve communities. And obviously, uh, they've never had a bigger job than they do right now, and they are doing uh, yeoman's work. So uh, big thanks to Micah uh, for joining us uh, as the head of the foundation. And then we have uh, Cami Clark, originally from my neck of the woods, uh, Florida Keys, South Florida, now uh, coming to us from Maui. She's a reporter with Maui Now, uh, which provides the people of Maui with up-to-the-minute coverage of what is happening on the island, 100% focused on covering news that matters to their local community. Um, in about 35 minutes' time, we should be joined by Steve Gregory. He is uh, had a front-row seat to some of the nation's biggest stories, a very well-known radio reporter out of Los Angeles. He slept in his car during... Uh, the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, been backstage at the Academy Awards. He was dodging gunfire uh, at the protests in Ferguson, Missouri. He is uh, a newsman's newsman. Uh, he was on the ground in Maui almost uh, from the day of the fires till uh, just yesterday. He's a seven-time recipient of the Edward R. Murrow Award, and he's supposed to hop on uh, with us and tell us uh, what he has uh, seen and experienced on the ground. And then you all know this face, Detective Phil Waters, looking very Hawaiian with the sunglasses and the Hawaiian shirt. Uh, he's investigated more than 400 homicides for the Houston PD, but he spends half the year on the Big Island, about 10 miles from Maui. And uh, the great Phil Waters said, hey, send me this link. This is, an, this is important. I'm coming on. Uh, he is near his church, which is where he likes to be. Um, and then we're, we're going to have Sherry Palumbo, an STS Nation member who goes by Carpe Diem. Um, she's stuck at a FEMA meeting. That is the current state of affairs. People are dealing with real life issues. So uh, she may uh, or may not join us. And last but not least, I'm going to read an email from her. Special shout out to Catherine Regier. She sent me this Aloha shirt a few days before the fires broke out, along with my Maui hat here. Uh, which I am sporting today in honor of the people uh, from Maui. We're going to get to our guests in just a second. I just want to remind everyone that all uh, proceeds from the sale of merchandise at the STS store today, and you can scan that QR code right there that the COE put together, all of those proceeds are going to go to the Hawaii Community Foundation. Uh, I think she also has a QR code directly linked 
uh, to the Hawaii Community Foundation. If you guys want to donate uh, on your own, uh, you can scan this QR code uh, and you can donate whatever your heart desires. And again, that will go uh, directly to the Hawaii Community Foundation. Of course, today is not about true crime but about uh, bringing our community together to help an other community uh, that's in need. Also, any super stickers today uh, also will go uh, to the Hawaii Community Foundation. Look at that, right on cue, Courtney, 1999. Any super stickers, that's 20 bucks already going to the uh, Hawaii Community Foundation. So quick backdrop. I don't want to talk much longer, even though I will. Uh, the fires began August 8th. That's 12 days ago. The death toll officially now at 114, still expecting, unfortunately, many more dead. Uh, only six victims have been publicly released. And uh, let's take a moment to mention those victims right now. Uh, you have Alfredo Galinato, 79, Robert Dickman, 74, Buddy Jantock, 79, Donna Gomez, 71, Melva Benjamin, 71, Virginia Dofa, uh, 90. Um, Sadly, uh, it is being reported that a lot of children uh, may be brought into the mix, as you can see here. It uh, doesn't make it any better, uh, but uh, some of those names uh, victims are um, a little elderly. Uh, Kiro, we're going to talk about him a little later on, a 14-year-old boy that did not make it, and he was found clutching onto his dog. So, um, Cammy, to you, do we know... what? First of all, how are you doing, Cammie, in light of everything that's happened? It's been challenging, as you can imagine. Um, I, I was through Hurricane Irma, and that was horrible, but there wasn't the loss of life that this incident had. And this morning, I went through one more time, and we've been able to identify 17 of the people, um, you know, the official ones, and then other people where their families have identified them as being deceased. So when you put faces to the deceased, it just really, really is heartbreaking and brings it home even more than it already is. And Cammie, when these fires broke out back on uh, that now infamous day of August 8th, where, where were you exactly? So I live in Kihei and we were up all night because there was also a fire on our side of the island. And um, I live right across from the brand new high school and you could, I mean, it was just roaring and it was, um, and you, you just could see it and building. And so my husband and I, we had hoses and we were standing literally with hoses all night long, making sure that the fires didn't reach our house. And about midnight, they actually evacuated a, uh, a um, an area called Maui Meadows that's very close to us um, and told everybody literally to get out immediately because they were worried that the fire, if the winds changed at all, would take out that entire residential neighborhood. So it was a very scary night for us. So we weren't quite as aware of what was going on in Lahaina. I had heard that Front Street might be burning, but we didn't get the you know severity of it really until the next morning. So we were more concerned about what was happening on our side of the island. Mm. Uh, so everyone was concerned. Obviously, fires broke out. There were really high winds and a hurricane that was moving through. Uh, shout out to Ashley for a $50 super sticker. That's going straight to the Hawaii Community Foundation. Laura Waldy, 10 bucks. That's going straight to Micah's organization. Maui Swift, $24.99, going straight to the Hawaii Community Foundation. Um, if you guys are buying merch, again, all the merch is going to go, the proceeds are going to go directly uh, to Micah's organization. Just uh, in comments, say T-shirt, mug, whatever you guys get. And by the way, we've got uh, 
STS Nation loves Maui swag in there that we put together uh, for the store specifically for this show. It'll stay there for a while. And if you purchase anything uh, with Maui, that too obviously will go uh, to Micah's organization. Uh, Micah, same question to you. Uh, where were you uh, when the fires broke out? How are you doing today? Well, I, I think we're, we're, we're doing okay. I was actually where Phil is at. I was in Kohala Tuesday, um, and there were fires there as well. As Phil is probably aware, they shut down some of the exit roads coming out of that side of the island, and I was making my way back to Oahu. Um, Tuesday evening, notified the mayor of Maui County that we were going to activate the Maui Strong Fund, which is a fund that's established under a memorandum of, of understanding with Maui County specifically to deal with disasters. Um, as as Cami knows, Hawaii is no stranger to natural disasters, fires, floods, hurricanes, tidal waves, but this is something we've never experienced. Um, the magnitude of winds that we were seeing um, both in Hawaii Island, where Phil is at, specifically in Kohala, where thousands of acres of Kohala ranch land were were burnt down. Same type of winds, in fact, worse, were being seen in Lahaina, 60, 70, 80, 90 mile an hour winds. And um, and so it, this, this became something very extreme and um, really caught us by surprise, Joel. But I think we're, we're managing well. Our team on the ground is uh, working well with nonprofit organizations. Uh, spent the day with the mayor on Friday uh, within Lahaina, visiting the different organizations that were serving people on the ground, met with some of the, the leaders. Kami, I met with Archie Kalepa, uh, tried to stop over at uh, Kemoku Kapu's distribution center, but he wasn't around. But, you know, I think they're amazing people out there, Joe. They're, they're uh, some of the most um, uh, efficient distribution centers that I've seen, and we've been around quite a bit of them. So I think they're doing really, really well. I think the county's EOC center in Lahaina is well-staffed and is doing well. And this is going to be a long road and the people are really, really hurting right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mike, I was joking on the last show that uh, we're not Jeff Bezos. We couldn't donate a hundred million, but we took put together about $2,000 for you guys. What's the um, outpouring of support been like um, for the Hawaii Community Foundation now? And, and once again, everyone, here's a QR code. If you want to donate directly to Maui Strong, this is the QR code to do that. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Well, well, first off, I would say that the, you know, the good words, the prayers are as important as the the resources. And so, you know, that advocacy drill is, is super important for our families out in Maui to feel. So I just want to really make sure people understand that. Um, we activated the fund, um, like I said, Tuesday evening, by early month, by early Wednesday morning, some of our our most dedicated supporters seed funded the program with about a million dollars by probably three days, close to 5 million. And then it, it kind of just went viral from there. Um, we were able to get the first 3 million out into the, into the uh, community through some trusted nonprofit partners within about 72 hours. Since then, we've had over 170,000 contributions um, from 44 countries from around the world, including the Republic of Korea. Um, and so it's just been amazing, the outpour of support. And um, just can't thank the people of this world enough. And we're realizing how special 
uh, Maui is not just to us as Hawaii people, as Kama'aina, but also to the people who have visited there and care about Hawaii. So it's been a special time, but at the same time, you know, again, like I said, it's going to be a tough road for our people on Maui. Eventually, hopefully our world comes to a place where we come together uh, when it's not tragedy, but we seem to always uh, do come together uh, in difficult times. I'm glad that you gave me the chills. I think you said 44 countries, uh, in, including the Republic of Korea. So that is amazing to hear uh, that uh, the Hawaii Community Foundation, that people are stepping up. Uh, Phil, I'm coming to you in a second, I promise. But uh, Micah, back to you here from our viewer, from our <laughs> Nation member, Sally Vela. I was reading where Lahaina was the former capital of the Hawaiian kingdom and is more than 220 years old. Uh, can you just speak to the importance of Lahaina and sure. uh, its history? She's exactly right. I mean, it, you know, in, in terms of how we conceive a capital today, uh, Lahaina was, was the Hawaiian capital. And, um, and if you are there, it's a very central point. You can access many of the neighbor islands. Um, you know, Baikanu, Molokai is 26 miles away. Nanai is, you know, a very short, um, you know, sail away. Hawaii Island is, is very close. Um, and then right behind Molokai is, is Oahu. And so, you know, it's strategic location for our leadership to convene pre-contact. Lahaina was the place. Um, it had some of the most robust um, food systems and water systems of pre-contact and um, was a breadbasket for the island chain. And, um, and it has tremendous uh, Hawaiian history. Um, and so, so she's very right. I probably gave a little bit more information than she wanted, but it is a special place uh, for the Hawaiian people. And uh, thank you for uh, explaining us, giving us a brief history lesson. Phil Waters, uh, you're at your favorite place, church. Um, you heard Micah say prayers are just as important uh, in his point of view as donations. Uh, what was the mood like in church today? What are people saying about the uh, the tragedy there? Well, we're obviously, we're we're in, uh, in the Pule. We're in prayer for those folks over there and have been since this thing happened. We are also designating tithes and offerings that are going directly to the room and uh, we'll continue to take those uh, types of uh, donations, tithes and offerings. So we're, we're on it. Um, we've been, we've been coming to the, to the, uh, to the islands to Hawaii for uh, 30 years and we have been on uh, almost all the islands, uh, but uh, we've been on Maui when the wildfires have, have cranked up, so we're not unfamiliar with that situation, nor are we unfamiliar, as Mike was talking about. We had fires here at about the same time, burned off a 1,000 acres. He's already mentioned Kahala Ranch, and there was even some fire that got close to Mauna Kea, down to the resorts, and so forth and so on. And there are some reports that there was an investigation that a couple of the ignition points, one of them was looked like it was a power line issue or something more organic. And then another one uh, looked like it may have been arson. So um, I can't imagine the mind uh, comes up with that kind of a uh, an act in the middle of a already a, a very serious circumstance. But uh, our guys here, I will tell you this, our firefighters here got on it very quickly and were able to get bulldozers on the ground over there and just dug a fire break. And within about a day, I want to say, Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I 
we got reports that it was 60% contained. So they were getting it fairly under control. And when they talk about 100% containment, that doesn't mean that everything's been extinguished. It means that we've got hot spots going around and they're, they're going around to make sure that it is completely extinguished. So, uh, and we did have roads closed down for a period of time. Things were going within a couple of days. So, of course, other gaps in the side that just a, you know, when I saw it was happening, Phil, Phil, your audio's your audio's cutting up a little bit, so I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to Cammy. We'll come back to you. I think it's just a slight glitch. Shout out to Deb McCall, uh, twenty dollars super sticker going to Micah's uh, Hawaii Community Foundation. Jet Wilson, same deal, uh, twenty bucks, twenty bucks from K Angle, all going uh, donations here, thirteen ninety nine. May God bless Hawaii yesterday, today, and all uh, for all their heavy hearts tomorrow. Nineteen ninety nine from I am not T Pain. Um, and we got a question here from I am not T Pain for Cami. Uh, there have been reports of possible missing children. Do any of the best guests have any information on what that is looking like or the validity of those claims, Cami? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's the possibility of children. Uh, we have not been able to get an official count of the missing, no matter how hard we have tried. Um, so it's anywhere from 400 to sometimes even uh, over a thousand. So the, I don't, I don't know. We just don't know how many missing there are. There was a woman that actually did a crowdsourcing um, site, and at one point it had 6,000 names on it. And since then, it's now down to about 849 that have been, not been located. So many of those people could just be, you know, um, not having cell service and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but we just don't know how many people are left that have not been found. And unfortunately, they're, they're, the good news is that they're almost 85% done with the search area and probably more after today. But the bad news is we just don't know how many people are not going to ever be found. You know, um, there's that possibility that they their remains were just burnt, you know, past being able to be found. So all of that, we just don't know. That's the really, really, really sad part about this is so many people are just waiting for answers to loved ones. And the fact that it's going to take, you know, weeks, if not months to identify even the remains that they already have is just agonizing to the families. And we are now joined for uh, about 15 minutes or so. He's making time during a tropical storm, the first ever uh, for the state of California, uh, legendary KFI news reporter, uh, Stephen Gregory. Steve, great to see you. How are you? I introduced you before you were here. Uh, what struck you the most about your time on the ground in Maui? Well, I think is uh, for me, it was how chaotic it was, how unorganized it was. I'm used to Southern California. I'm used to some of the finest uh, first responding agencies on the planet. Uh, so I'm used to having a, um, a very robust and open sort of public information conduit ready to roll. I'm used to being able to pick up the phone and call people and get intel immediately. Uh, so anytime I roll up on any kind of a scene, whether it's at Hurricane Katrina, whether it's uh, it, stories in other parts of the country, um, I know that I'm going into foreign territory. And uh, in this particular case, I'd never been to Maui before. So I had to start from ground zero. I had sources there. I had um, colleagues at other networks that we were all working together behind the scenes. 
to get each other information. But I think what struck me was how little information I could get. Um, I'm used to having more information uh, faster when I get on scene somewhere. Welcome and, to Maui. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Maui. Cammy says, uh, Stephen, I'm going to stick with you because I know your time is limited. Um, catch up, uh, big, big friend of the show here. Uh, some victims are still in the process of being identified. This is what Cammy was talking about through DNA and local mortuaries are taking some heat. What can be done to help speed up the process? My question to you uh, right now, the death toll is at 114. Only six have been publicly um, identified. Uh, how fearful are you that these numbers are going to go a lot higher, particularly a lot of children? Well, you know, and I was listening to a little bit of the dialogue beforehand. There, I don't know if you discussed why there might be so many children still unaccounted for. And Please I, explain. I can talk about that in a few moments. Uh, to your point, uh, we are told, and I was told by Boots on the Ground, and these are first responders that are still in the impact zone are telling me that they are fearful that this number is going to spike because where the search started and we were allowed into the impact zone for one hour on Tuesday. So I got to see it, but that was only after I got a lot of grief from Governor Green. Um, after I asked a simple question, why aren't we getting any access? And then he completely went off the rails on me. So, um, but it was the FEMA guy that came forward and put me in the, put me in the zone for an hour. So I was able to see for myself. But part of that is because the searching that they are doing was mostly in businesses and other places that had already been evacuated. And what they fear is as they get more into the residential areas, there's probably going to be more human remains there. But the thing that I was trying to, the question, and I, I did a one-on-one with Mayor Richard Bisson on Friday. And the thing I was trying to get from him was this number keeps coming out. It's 114 and it's a very slow progress. And there's a reason for it. They don't want to release any names until next of Kim. Kim has been notified. And I understand that and I appreciate and I'm, I'm respectful of that. But there's close to 1,300 people still unaccounted for it last count. It used to be more than 2,000. They've completely amended it to closer to 1,300 unaccounted for. But there's 114 confirmed deceased. The gap in between there is what has me concerned. Now, are they unaccounted for because they're still up in, in the hills and at their, you know, people's homes? Because we did find out there were about 50, 55 people that had been staying at one house in upcountry. And then all of a sudden they came down and checked in and then they were able to mark their names off the list. So we don't know how many of those types of people have taken off into other areas and not made themselves known. The other faction in this is people from the mainland, the relatives and of loved ones that might be tourists on the island, how are the people from the mainland supposed to make connection with authorities on Maui about their loved ones? But they have to report them missing, and I don't know that they know how to go about that. And I found out that they have to contact the FBI, and then the FBI is going to facilitate DNA swabs in whatever, wherever jurisdiction they happen to be on the mainland. That FBI office will facilitate that. Now, with respect to the kid, the reason I was told that they're anticipating a high number of kids is because the day of the, of the, of the high winds, <coughs> the schools were closed. Now, the way it was explained to me by locals and some officials on the ground is that a lot of families there, we're talking about a lot of working class folks, and a lot of families there can't afford childcare, daycare. And when they close the schools, they leave the children at home. And then the parents are out working. And some of these parents have to work two and three jobs. And that when chaos struck, 
parents couldn't get back in because the roads were closed by then, whether they were closed because of the fires or whether they were closed because of the backlog of cars that were abandoned. Then we were also told roads were impassable because of downed power lines. A fire truck actually blocked an ingress, egress point because it caught fire. But they, they are fearful that a lot of kids are still unaccounted for because they were caught in their homes at the point of the blaze. And that's terrifying. Uh, one such kid is Kiero Fuentes, and we'll get to his story a little later on. Again, 14 years old, school was getting ready to start the next day. His parents were at work. Uh, he's adopted. Uh, they raced back. It took them two days to get home when they found Kiro. Uh, he was sadly found uh, burned and charred uh, with his arm around his dog uh, in the same condition. So that's horrific uh, to hear from. Um, we are joined now by uh, STS Nation member uh, Sherry Palumbo, a.k.a. Carpe Diem. Uh, Sherry, thank you so much. I know uh, you were dealing with a FEMA meeting where were you when the fires broke out and how are you doing? I was about three to four miles from the fire um, north uh, towards Napili, but um, Honokawai area. And uh, how are you holding up in the wake of all this? I'm good. Um, sleep isn't so great. Uh, things are kind of chaotic. You know, it's a disaster area and there's a lot going on. So, yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, Cami, to you from I Am Not T-Pain, uh, from the viewpoint of someone in Maui, especially you as a reporter, uh, how do you think the local government has been handling the situation? Obviously, uh, anytime there's situations like this, a lot of criticism uh, thrown the way the government uh, in this instance, is it warranted, do you think? And well, a shout out to Mac4999 going to... Micah's organization, Hawaii Community Foundation. We're going to get back to Mike in a moment. Go ahead, Cammie. I'm sorry. Well, I've been a journalist for most of my career, but for three and a half years, I was a public information officer in Monroe County. And when we had uh, Hurricane Irma, and so I know the behind the scenes, what happens in an emergency operation center. So there's so much being done behind the scenes that you never see. So we were super criticized for everything that we did during Irma. That being said, so I understand, you know, everything that can happen in that situation. But I do think that our the response um, um, has been shaky. I mean, there's been areas that have been wonderful. And then there has been areas that have been shaky. And part of it is trying to get um, supplies to the people that did survive in West Maui. And the problem was the road, you could get past the road, but you, need, you needed to make sure people didn't get into the impact zone. And, um, and they, I think they could have figured out a way to make that happen so that people could go to stores, they could get help and that, and supplies could get in, you know, instead of uh, blockading it completely so that if you were in West Maui and you went into the, you know, to get supplies where on the other side of the island, you could get back home. And that was a problem. They wouldn't let you back in if you left. So, so I think that could have been handled better. Um, obviously, we'll find out, you know, after everything is accounted for what happened with the actual response and whether the sirens should have been, you know, um, turned on and those kinds of things that will, that will come down later. But just having been on both sides of a disaster, I know that it is chaotic at first. And um, to the point of the gentleman that lives in California, and I used to live in California, have way more resources than Maui. 
Maui is a small island. And again, we're an island. So to get resources from somewhere else is very difficult. And at the same time that we were having our issues, as the other gentleman pointed out, there were four fires on the big island that also needed attention. So resources were spread super, super thin. Um, and, um, and I think there was just a, you know, a perfect storm of things happening on that day. Um, you know, some could have been prevented and some could not. And, uh, Mike, I promise I'm coming back to you, but, uh, Stephen Gregory, uh, is a, uh, veteran news reporter has limited time. So, uh, Stephen, you've covered, uh, the biggest of the big stories. Um, where do you place this, um, and the stories that you've covered in terms of destruction, what comes close, if anything? Well, it, it ranks up there, but I've done uh, Hurricane Rita, Hurricane Katrina, uh, the, the numerous wildfires that, that happened here in California, Arizona, Colorado, and Utah. Um, and, uh, you know, something that, um, that, and I'm sorry, ma'am, I forgot your name, your, your first name, the journalist. The one Cammy. 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 Yeah, Cammy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you brought up something that was kind of interesting that I wanted to touch on. You were talking about the lack of resources. And the one thing that struck me here uh, or when I was on Maui is that uh, the one thing that, that is crystal clear to me is that you can have the smallest of agencies and the largest of agencies, but if they don't have an incident action plan that includes a communications part to it, it is not going to work. It doesn't matter if you don't, if, if you have a, an agency of five people or 500 people, as long as you're organized and you're well, you know, you're, you're well versed and you're well educated on the protocols for whether it's NIMS, National Incident Management System, or Incident Command System, the ICS, it doesn't matter if your agency is a tiny one or a huge one. If you're organized and you're ready to go, even the most challenging of, of disasters should be no problem on the communication side. I'm not talking about deployment of resources. I'm talking about on the communication side which is the thing that really struck me. And if you all saw how the emergency operations director, um, Mr. Andaya, uh, sort of fell on the sword, if you will, because, you know, I think his resignation was going to be imminent after he made the statement that he didn't regret not turning on the sirens. I thought that was an incredibly bold statement to make, considering that his own website says clearly that they use the sirens for wildfires. Mm -hmm. So, and that they have different tones and at different cadences. So, his information was completely contradictory. So I think that, that the reason that we weren't getting the information that we needed was because it seems to me that that entire agency was very, very poorly run. Um, well, like I wanted, go ahead, Cammie, go ahead. I was just going to say, like I said, I've been a journalist for almost 40 years and worked in five, you know four or five different states. And Maui and Hawaii in general are very tight-lipped, difficult to get information for anything. I want to do a story about the roads. It's like pulling teeth. I've never been to a place that is so guarded about information as I have in Hawaii about anything. And so this does not surprise me that getting information has been super difficult. And again, when we did IRMA, our emergency uh, you know, um, operation center, we had our emergency director out in front every single day, you know, heading it, our county administrator. Every single day they were available. I made them, and I especially made them available to our local reporters who needed the information most. I mean, I know, no offense to you, but you parachute in and you'll parachute out. And a lot of people will do that here. But the local reporters are the ones that 
really give the information to the community that needs it. And, um, and again, when I was a public information officer, I served my local media first and then anybody else that was parachuting in because, you know, they're, they're the ones that are going to have to deal with this long after everybody else is gone. And Cammie, yeah. I'm sorry, but you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you said that because um, uh, in addition to what I do here, I'm also a certified uh, crisis communications media relations instructor for the LA County Fire Department and the Police Department. And and that's the thing I teach them, always take care of your locals first. But it does not mean to demean and just be dismissive of the outside of the outside media. The thing that really bothered me about this here, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, is that, you know, your local media, they live, they work here, they they, their kids go to school here. You are, you're integrated into the community. Absolutely, you should take care of these folks first. But you know what happens in these networks, as you well know, including myself, we can be bullies and we can come in here and we can make all kinds of demands. And, and it's just, but, but that's my job. My job's going to get answers. And um, the thing that really strikes me is that an agency that's prepared for that should be able to work their way around it. Now, at one point, I don't know if you folks knew this, but they put an edict out that only local media were going to be allowed into the impact zone. Outside media would be allowed in as long as we pass a cultural sensitivity test. I've never heard that. But, and the, but you're right about being tight-lipped. Now, Cammie, do you think that Maui's learned its lesson because of this or the governor of, 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 of Hawaii has learned its, his lesson because of this? Do you foresee that ever changing again? So, I personally think that um, our governor, um, again, he's only been on the job, you know, recently elected, has done a, and, and this is being try, trying to be as objective as I can, um, a very good job on many fronts. He's very proactive. So, I'm going to, I am going to give him a chance to to correct this. This is, this is something that was not created by him. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see if he can pull off other things that he has done because he's been very proactive in, in, um, housing and some other issues that, you know, have struggled for years and he's trying to take, you know, do things that have been not done before, think outside the box. So I'll see how he handles this. Locally, it was a mess. I agree with the, with some of the stuff that has happened here. Um, and again, sometimes, when you're a small county, and again, when things don't happen to this magnitude, you know, and again, I know you can be as prepared as you think you are, and we thought we were in the Florida Keys. When it all comes at you at once, and you are struggling with all the issues that are happening, and, and our emergency manager, he had lost his house himself and is trying to direct it. So I, I know when you're a small county, trying to do something that this magnitude and FEMA's coming in, all these people are coming in all these directions and people are screaming at you and everything. It's difficult. And um, as well-oiled a machine as you may think you can have, it can all go to hell quickly. And, um, you know, and the communication also was just hampered also by the lack of cell phone service and internet and stuff in the hardest hit areas, which was the same thing that happened in the Florida Keys. We didn't have we our our firefighters could not communicate with um, other people, the you know other first responders. I mean, we had everything go down, all cell phone service. Only thing that worked was radio to radio, and you had to be close because the towers were down. So, so it's difficult when, and especially when you're a small county. 
Um, but again, I think lessons will be learned and they'll be learned for the entire state because, you know, there's fires burning right now on the big island, you know, and that's what I was overseeing before this. And, um, you know, and, you know, God forbid they, they were blowing and then they, you know, take out Kona, you know, which could happen, you know. Um, so we're ripe for fires here and climate change obviously is playing a part in it. It's, they're getting more and more frequent and, um, you know, and the temperatures are going up. So. There are going to be a lot of lessons learned, and I think there'll be lessons learned for our entire state. And uh, Micah Kane, uh, Stephen Gregory was talking about the resignation, as you know, of Herman Andaya. He was uh, the emergency management, uh, the head of emergency management. Um, Mayor Richard Bisson immediately accepting his reg- resignation. Uh, he said, given the gravity of the crisis we are facing, my team and I will be placing someone in this key position as quickly as possible. Uh, you see this from Jerry Michael of STS Nation. Uh, do, you, do any of the guests think that if the sirens were sounded, uh, would that have helped or send everyone in the wrong direction into the fires? Uh, Micah, curious uh, your take on the controversy surrounding the sirens that will probably grow uh, in the coming days as we're getting some support from Australia as well. Go ahead, Micah. Well, I think I, I can't really comment on on the incident and what occurred, and, and nor am I interested in it, to be honest. Our focus is 100% on the families and community that has been affected and trying to make sure that that community can remain united and not be divided by all the external forces that are entering that place. And um, we're just trying to be very respectful as much as, um, you know, Lahaina is a small community. Um, our, our guest here from Napili uh, probably could best speak to that. But even as someone who's raised in Hawaii and has family in Lahaina and his family on Maui, you know, I still go in there, you know, trying to be respectful as an outsider um, and just trying to do everything we can to, 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 to allow that community to stay one community. I think a lot of the conversations that are occurring that are trying to speculate on what has happened has created, you know, um, divisiveness within the community that has been, I think, harmful. Um, and so our focus is really on just providing services and seeing those leaders rise up and supporting them the best we can. And, and Micah, uh, we have the QR code here for uh, Maui Strong, the Hawaii Community Fund. This is who we donate to. Uh, STS Nation, you can pick up your cell phone and take a shot of this if you want to donate directly. Um, outside of money to you. Um, is there any other way people can help? Uh, that's question number one, Mike. And number two, I think you said uh, you doled out $3 million right away. Can you tell us, uh, you know, how is that money being used to, to what end? Right? Yeah, actually, I have about $8.5 million that has gone out the door in the last nine days to 46 different organizations from everything from fuel that is going to support boats coming in from Molokai and other places to provide you know, propane gas and other types of services. We're providing medical, food, water, shelter, direct cash contributions. Um, We're trying to get out in front with some of the needs we're hearing about communication and we're in direct contact with some of the cell service providers. As Sherry probably knows, you're seeing a lot of uh, Starlink um, um, prop-ups popping up now for interim communication. We're funding a lot of that. Um, grants are going out as small as $5,000 and as large as a uh, million dollars. And so um, it really depends on what is needed. And we're just trying to be as flexible 
um, as we possibly can in order to serve the needs of that community. Hmm. And uh, Sherry, back to you, uh, you're sideways right now, so maybe you flipped your phone a little bit, but um, <laughs> Sherry, what's it like just day to day right now, um, you know, going to the store, getting milk, uh, obviously Hawaii is an island on a normal day, but now uh, a much difficult, more difficult place uh, to access uh, goods and things of that nature with road closures and all of that. Uh, so what's it like for you to just go food shopping and get the necessities? Hi. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, gotcha. Great. I got a call while uh, you guys were talking. Um, so in the beginning, it was it was pretty difficult, but everybody just kind of gathered around in different areas and pulled our food together. And we just kind of shared and made sure everybody had everything. And then um, we had grassroots come in. Pu'u'ana Ohana um, came from the other side of the island, the back road, which they often call death road because it's so dangerous to drive. And so her and her husband and her kid, they all, they came over and they like, they were like, do you need water? You know, just driving in and out of different areas, checking on people. So then we started getting water and then boats were coming from Molokai over to Napili Beach to bring supplies that way. And the church on the big, on the big hill, they had, they had some food and they pulled all their resources and started cooking for people and housing people. I had 10 people in my studio that night that had fled from the fire and lost their homes. So a lot of different things going on, but good news today. I brought me to tears. I went across, I saw Times Market open. They've been closed. And when the, the power surge came back on, they lost their coolers. So today their coolers were on, fixed, and how and they're putting meat back on the back in them and stocking things. So I was like, you know, I came to tears just seeing that, you know, the groceries at stores open, you know, people are in there getting stuff. So yeah, it was pretty emotional. And Sherry, you look like uh, you're doing well, which is great. Where are you from originally? Are you from Maui? I live in Maui. Maui is my my residence, my home. But I'm originally from California. Um, my family bought property here in 1970. So um, kind of been getting acquainted with the island and then, you know, being kind of part-time resident for 10 years and then now full-time last four years. Um we have an email from an other member of SGS Nation, and this is why I love our community. Uh, Sherry offered to come on, never met her before, uh, but she is in the chat a lot. Uh, Catherine Regier is the one who sent me this hat and my Aloha shirt before the fires. Um, she has a very kind heart. Uh, we have an email from her I just want to share with STS Nation. Uh, this is part of it. Um, I'm going to read the entire thing here. Uh, there's been criticism that the response from local government was too slow and that the people saved themselves. What is true is that we live on an island in the middle of the ocean and resources are limited. It never becomes more clear how vulnerable we are uh, other than, than when we have some kind of disaster. Could things have been handled differently and or better? Maybe. But what I do know is that it was a rapidly moving, impossible situation that escalated out of control in minutes. In this impossible situation, heroes emerged. Strangers stepped up to help strangers. Neighbors helped neighbors. Uh, there are and will be so many stories emerging about all the huge heroic gestures and small acts of kindness. Uh, Micah, when you read that, it gives me the chills. Um, how have Hawaiians come together uh, to help each other in the wake of this? I think there's many examples of that. The most uh, one that's received the most coverage locally is a gentleman by the name of Archie Kalepa. 
He's one of our uh, well-known navigators on the Hukulea, which is uh, a worldwide voyage of a very traditional way in which the Hawaiians navigated throughout the Pacific through uh, astronomy. And and he's a uh, uh, he's one of our leaders in that space. He lives in a Hawaiian community called Leali, which is just Mauka on the mountainside of uh, of Kaanapali. And uh, he's set up a distribution center and has done just amazing things and has gotten national coverage for that work. I'm sure Sherry is familiar, you know, with him. Um, another couple, young couple, right down from where Sherry lives at the Napili Distribution Center, have organized, you know, in partnership with government and with other nonprofits, a very, very well-oiled distribution center there. And and just people are popping up all over the place, Joel. And, and those are the those are the things that we're looking for. You know, how do we scaffold around these leaders with, you know, organizations that have uh, assets um, that can help, you know, bring some additional capacity and scale to these leaders. And so that's that's happening throughout that area. I think the other point I'll, I want to say in terms of like, and this is, I think, partially a credit to the response, but also a credit to the community. You know, within three days, uh, 2,100 families were in three shelters, uh, primarily outside of uh, Lahaina. When I was up there on Friday, there were only 78 families in those shelters. So it means that people are, are are moving in with other people, you know, and that's that's the local style. We take care of each other. We take care of our family. But that's going to stress the system, you know, in the short term. You know, that's not a sustainable model because that's already happening prior to the to the fires. I mean, families were doubling up. Families were already, you know, distressed financially. Um, I think um, our gentleman from LA who visited kind of pointed out how families are working two to three jobs because the cost of living in Hawaii is so high. I mean, that fragility is what made this an extremely difficult situation uh, in addition to the extremely unique um you know, environmental issue that occurred with the power of the, the winds that, that came through that that valley. I think a combination of all of those things made this a very, very difficult, you know, disaster to deal with. And uh, Stephen, uh, Micah speaks very eloquently and he runs the Hawaii Community Foundation. And I know um, he does not want to get involved in the politics, but uh, you're a reporter and Cammy's a reporter. And obviously, uh, June here is asking a question. Many people are asking, why no sirens? Uh, COE, she is the chief of everything. She runs the show. Do we have the sound from Jonathan Vigliotti of CBS News? Not sounding the sirens. I do not. And the reason why... So many people said they could have been saved if they had time to escape. Had a siren gone off, they would have known that there was a crisis emerging. And as we know, so many bodies were found in the ground as the flames caught their heels. The sirens, as I mentioned earlier is used primarily for tsunamis. And that's the reason why many of them are found, almost all of them are found on the coastline. The public is trained to seek higher ground in the event that the siren is sounded. Had we sounded the siren that night, we're afraid that people would have gone Malka. And if that was the case, then they would have gone into the fire. By the way, I should also note that there are no sirens Malka or on the mountainside where the fire was spreading down. So even if we saw the sound, it would not have saved those people on the, yeah. on the mountainside. Mocha. 
According to the state's own government and website, we know, those sirens um, can be used for a variety of natural take that down bugs. Thank you. As we know, um, he has since resigned. Stephen Gregory, to you, uh, as a you know former network news guy myself, I think that's a very valid question to ask. What are the big questions you'd be asking today? Well, a lot of the same. And first of all, Micah, I wanted to tell you that, that we've been directing everyone to the Hawaii Community Foundation for fundraising. I just Thank to you, buddy. We were doing that starting on Tuesday when I hit the ground there and started on air. So that was the organization I was told to promote, and that's what we've been promoting. Thank you, Steve. Uh, I really appreciate it. No, of course. I, I, I've been told you guys do amazing work. Uh, to, your, to your question, uh, you know, the, we wanted to know, here's the thing I, I, I want everyone to know. First of all, I might come off as a little cynical here, and it's not that. It's because I... I've been doing this for 43 years and I take it very seriously. When I approach these, I've done enough of these throughout the country to know what has happened, what is expected, what's happening next. I know all the steps. I've, I've been in the EOC at the LA County Fire Department when these things have happened to observe myself. Those questions that I ask a lot of times it immediately goes to blame. Everyone wants to blame somebody. Everyone, that's the human nature. That's the human thing everyone wants. How did this happen? And I think that's what was happening here because let me tell you, I was driven, my line of questioning with the governor on Monday and everyone since then was driven by locals. These were the questions the locals were asking of me. And these were the questions they knew that uh, they couldn't get answers to. They thought I had the kind of access that would get them their answers. And I was talking to the poorest of poor. I was talking to business owners. I was talking to tourists. I thought I had a pretty good swath of representation on the island when I was there. I was there from Sunday through Friday. I got back overnight Friday. And I was asking the questions that were asked of me. So when I go in there, I'm already armed with the questions from the people. But there's always going to be time to lay blame. There's always going to be time to point fingers. What we had to do at that point was get in to see what there was. Because the first rule of journalism for me is I'm not into propaganda. I don't wait for agencies to tell me what the situation looks like. I get paid to observe and report. I have to go in there with my own eyes and see for myself. I can't get a sanitized version from a government agency because they're going to sanitize the version. They're going to tell you what they want you to know in the order they want you to know it. So my job is to go in there with an objective lens. And that was the point I was trying to make with the governor on Monday. Instead, he chose to make it personal. He didn't know anything about my career. He didn't know anything about my, my body of work. He instead accused me of wanting to step on the bodies in the ashes of the dead. Um, instead, on Tuesday, I was able to walk down the center of the asphalt as dozens and hundreds of other people had before me during that fire or after that fire, and did it in as much of a respectful manner as I could, given the direction I got from the federal agency FEMA. Um, so my job there as a reporter, as an objective observer, is to try to answer the questions the locals want answers to. And those included, you know, a response. And a lot has been made about the slow response. There's a number of reasons why the slow response happened. It doesn't look like that when they have red flag conditions that they don't, they're not as proactive with their resources as other jurisdictions are. Meaning 
deploying engine companies out for structure protection in advance of a fire. That's what red flag conditions do on almost other southern and western states. They deploy resources in advance of a coming wildfire or in advance of conditions that might spark a wildfire. So pre-positioning and pre-deploying resources is a big part of it. I want to know how this can be prevented in the future. Really, what is going to happen while those officials are up there talking with us? I already know that there's many people working behind the scenes to get the resources to the people who need it. That's already in motion. So this notion that I have to somehow be kinder and, and more respectful and be different in, in, you know, to these officials, that don't play with me because those officials, they've already got answers. They've got a lot of answers already, but they, they're not telling us a lot of those answers. You can't tell me that they already know the chain of events of who made what decision at what time. Of course they know. And there's a digital footprint that also proves it. So I'm asking those questions of people that are asking me those questions. By the way, this is a video of Lahaina. You can see a lot of the mansions uh, were saved. Uh, the smaller homes on the interior destroyed. Um, Cammie, uh, apologize for taking a while to circle back to you. Uh, and I believe by, by the way, I've got to go now. So I'm, I'm getting, because I'm, we had a 5.1 earthquake on top of having a tropical storm <laughs> on top of everything else. So... Steve Gregory, you're a, you're a mensch. You're a mensch. I appreciate you being on the show very much. And we'll call on you again for other news stories, I hope. Take care, all. Be safe, everyone in Hawaii. Be safe. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very Thank much. You. Bye now. Thank you. Good luck reporting. Uh, Cammie, um, what, what, if anything, are you expecting for President Biden's visit? Well, he's he's received a lot of criticism for not speaking up sooner and um, his no comment, no comment situation. But... Um, I talked with uh, Senator Schatz today and people there, and he's going to come and try to do what Joe Biden wasn't used to be known for is his empathy and giving people hope. And um, so I think I expect that that's what he will do tomorrow. He has been, at least according to Governor Green, very proactive in giving the emergency declarations that are needed and the, you know, the resources and funding, you know, that have been requested of him. And I don't know of anything that has been requested of him so far that has not been um, been agreed to. Um, so, so you know, you know, obviously this is what is it the worst um, death toll of a fire in a hundred years and unprecedented in Hawaii. So we are going to get resources. And uh, Senator Schatz said that he is going to be working, you know, to get even more resources coming in because this will be a multi-year rebuilding of Lahaina. Um, and, um, as Micah knows, we don't have housing here. We had a housing crisis before this happened. So, you know, we're going to lose some families to the mainland or to other parts of Hawaii. We just don't have the housing. They can stay with other families short term, but long term, it's not going to work. And, um, and you're not going to rebuild here quickly because, because we are an island and because it takes forever to get, you know, resources here on barges and stuff. And it's so expensive and pro, you know, it's so expensive that Senator Schatz said that, you know, they're going to try to get the loans higher because 500000 even though they've been raised from 200000 to 500000 for the SBA loans, it doesn't cut it to rebuild in Hawaii. It's so expensive here. So... Um, so this is going to take years and years and years. And, um, you know, and I, and I just hope that, you know, for the long term, 
you know, that the support will stay with us because we're going to need it, you know, long past, uh, you know, all the major journalists going back home. And we're, we're here to um, try to rebuild. Uh, Cammy, right back to you from KD. Has the use of cruise ships for housing been considered? That is something uh, I know they talked about even during COVID uh, to quarantine people in, let's say, Manhattan, even Los Angeles. What about using cruise ships for housing out uh, in Maui? I know we considered it once in the Florida Keys, but um, I haven't heard any talk of that here. And I don't know that it would be super practical um, cost-wise and, and those kinds of things. Um, so I don't, I just don't know. And Sherry, um, you know, you are the citizen, uh, in Maui, the one that, uh, the government, you know, needs to, uh, be accountable to, um, what do you need help with? Oh, you have to just unmute yourself. I'm sorry. Got it. Um, I'm good. I don't need no help. Um, I'm actually helping others. Uh, the FEMA meeting, I went to one yesterday and one today. There are people here that don't drive. So I'm driving them to get help and getting signed up and whatever else they need. I've been driving over to the other side to get medical supplies and emergency insulin and actually got stuck on the other side. And then when they finally opened up the death road, I could come around. But um, uh, right now we have a lot of donations coming in. Um, I actually went to my personal bank on the other side of the island and got out $4,000 that people had donated in and put it in people's hands. Um, there's a lot going on. FEMA didn't give any inclination on the long-term housing plan because I know in the past they could bring in like single white trailers and house people for up to a year um, until they find housing. They really, they were, like, they were like closed mouth when I talked to them. Right now, I know that they're housing at least until the end of September. And then I guess they go on extensions after that. Um, I think that's kind of stressful to people that are in there and they don't know until last minute if they're going to get an extension. So, yeah. I, and and uh, Micah Khan is, uh, I assume, would agree with Tiff Knox's comment here. Blame does not help this early on. You can do that later. His organization is just worried about getting help to the people and getting money uh, to the people. Uh, Mike, I'm curious. I don't know if you're a religious guy or not. This is giving me the chills to read, but it, it is being called a miracle. Uh, of course, we know the wildfire engulfed Lahaina. Somehow the Maria Lanaquila Catholic Church was completely unscathed, the 175-year-old church. Uh, there's a photo of it next to the famous banyan tree, uh, which we don't know uh, yet if it's going to survive from what I'm being told, but uh, it's still standing. But what about this picture of this church, Micah? Um, how do you explain this? Completely well, untouched. You know, you know, it's interesting, Joel, in the, in the day that I spent out there, there are probably a half dozen of these kind of very unique mm -hmm. situations where, you know, certain very special places, you know, got spared. Um, and you just, you, you just, you don't know, you know, and, um, you know, just even overall the, the historical importance of this place and, and from pre-contact to contact to present day, the evolution that has occurred in Lahaina um, it's just a very interesting and scary situation we find ourselves in right now. I, I think that part that concerns me the most right now is is when the lights shut off um, and we stop talking about Lahaina, you know, two, three, four weeks from now, um, and it's still it's those it's that time period that concerns me the most. Getting people into a into a, a, a cadence of being able to function in some kind of normalcy so that 
families can function. Um, you know, the as, as people were talking about housing, I mean, in, in Hawaii, and this may be the case in other communities, but definitely in Hawaii, we're close-knit community. So if we're going to get relocated, we want to be relocated together. Um, it's not like you're going to just send people to different shelters across the island and you can figure that out. I mean, you know, if you hear some of the leaders talking in community, they want to be a part of that conversation. Um, and that's the role that we hope to help play is to help make sure their voice is heard. We have the ability to do that. We intend to try to help make that happen. Um, but really, I think the concern I have is really two, three weeks out the line when things uh, shut down, media starts turning off, and we're really going to have to start fending for ourselves. Uh, COE, let's put up the uh, QR code for the store. Anyone who buys merchandise uh, today in the store and uh, the COE uh, made special STS Nation loves Maui uh, items for the store. Anyone who purchases anything, all the proceeds go to Micah's organization, the Hawaii Community uh, Foundation. Um, Cami, I just want to circle back to the water issue, which we talked about a little bit. Uh, the person's name is M. Kaleo Manuel. He's now the former deputy director of the Hawaii uh, Commission on Water Resources. Um, it took more than five hours for them uh, to get the water going. Uh, he described water as sacred, uh, saying, let us let the water connect us and not divide us. Uh, he was quickly transferred to a new position. How closely is that going to be looked at? How big an issue uh, was it to wait on the water release? So water um, has been an issue on Maui for way, many, many decades. And um, and it's a very tricky um issue before this happened um so there it's it's very controversial let's put it that way and um and i don't know what the answers are but but people have been fighting over water on maui for a long time you know way before this happened and i don't know how it's all going to play out um so you know i I just can't i i I can't answer anything more than that cammy do me a favor just we're not there. We're a world away. Uh, t- tell us what it was like. I can tell you I was at ground zero on uh, 9-11 and it's, you know, it's not something you just see. It's also something you experience through smell and other ways. Uh, that smell will never leave my senses. Uh, what was it like being in the impact zone for you? What did, what did you take away from there? So... I was I I went down La Front Street in Lahaina during COVID when there was not a single person there except for one homeless person, you know, and I thought that was devastating to see Front Street like that, you know, where there was nobody there, everything was shuttered, you know, and I thought that was the worst thing that could happen. And then when you see it destroyed because it is a magical place and you know there are other places that would be devastating, but for for me, Lahaina was so historical. It was so special. It it it's just it's tragic beyond just all the people's lives lost and homes lost. And and to be in that area and to, I mean, you just cry. You just that's all you do. You just cry because it can never be replaced. It can be rebuilt, but it can never be replaced. It will never be the same. And 
I think that's the tragedy of it all is that, I don't know, I just, I just cry just thinking about the lives lost, the places lost, everything. It's, it's just like I told people, it's just gone. It was just gone. People, places, history, culture, everything just gone in a few hours. And, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's going to take a long time for this community to recover from it. It really is. And uh, everyone who's been to Lahaina, like this person has a story. I worked at the Dirty Monkey building on Front Street. Uh, Front Street was the building uh, where a large portion of the victims are believed to have died, kind of the epicenter or ground zero to use a 9-11 uh, phrase there. Um, there was no uh, pattern, no single path to safety. It was very haphazard. Some waited it out in the ocean. You're seeing photos right there. Uh, that is a shot of Front Street on fire. People tried to escape by car. Um, Micah, you said you have family in Lahaina. How's your family doing? You know, I think right now we're we're good. Um, the people that I know of are in shelters. Um, you know, we have a lot of family in the fire department. You know, there's about 300 firefighters um, within the, the uh, county of Maui. 20 of those firefighters lost their homes um, for lifeguards. So these first responders were also you know, people who lost, you know, their, their livelihood. And, um, and so, um, you know, first responders are a, a key, you know, group that we're trying to, to service as well. Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's not a, if you've lived in Hawaii for a period of time, you know, somebody that's been directly affected by this disaster. We're just, it's the world's biggest village, Joe. So, um, you know, we all know each other, we care about each other and, um, you know, I think everybody's been impacted in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, we're going to let everyone go in just a moment. Everyone's been incredibly generous generous with their time. And for full disclosure, uh, we were going to have some other guests. And uh, just because of the logistics and the communications, uh, both Cammy and Micah stepped up really last minute. And uh, just it was a coincidence that uh, Micah Kane uh, runs the organization that we donated to, but you couldn't have a better guest Uh to speak to that. Uh, Sherry, I'm going to have you unmute yourself. I'm just wondering, have you seen the impact zone? Have you been close to Front Street? Have you seen the destruction with your first, uh, firsthand with your own eyes? And what did you I think? I drive by it every day. I, it's, it's difficult to see. Um, to get over to the other side, I got to drive by like a mile and a half of just complete and utter destruction. And you know, and then you can still see into Lahaina Town proper. I mean, it's it's hard. And when you get up on the bypass, you're looking all the way down over Lahaina. So yeah, it's pretty rough. It's hard to see. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. Um, there was a home. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a photo of it. Uh, at two seventy one Front Street. This is another one of these sort of miracle stories. A hundred year old home. Uh, it was untouched. People say it looks like it's photoshopped. Uh, it has a red roof. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, Sherry, to you, have you seen this house? How strange is it that it's untouched in the middle of all this? I actually haven't seen it with my own eyes. I saw the photo. I read an article this morning, and uh, that's a historic home that was, you know, re redone, rebuilt. And um, he actually put a metal roof on the top, and he also put uh, river rocks around his vegetation. So 
there was a couple factors that I think played in into, you know, helping save his home. I mean, there is some no rhyme and reason on some of the houses that got saved and some that, you know, where I just skipped over a whole subdivision and then went on to another place. I, I actually, I actually did see it. So, um, um, on the second day, uh, the day after the fire, I got on a boat and we um, took supplies by boat into uh, uh, Black Rock. And when we drove by, we're like, no way that house is standing. And it had a car that was totally good. And we were driving by, we're like, no way. It's fire, 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 this house with a little car and then fire, fire, fire. And yeah, and I'll send you the picture, but it is. Cammie, how do you how do you explain it, Cammie? <laughs> you, well, you know, it's weird because when I, I just did a um, video, just, you know, there letting it is. The, the COE just brought it up. If you look around, yeah. destruction everywhere, except for this one house, 271 Front Street, even Micah Kane, who's born and bred on the islands of Hawaii, shaking his head in disbelief. Cammie, go ahead. Yeah, there are other places that are like that where you go, how did this fire go around this one, like the one church or this one area? Like the whole shopping center, Lahaina, the the, um, the uh, Lahaina Gateway Shopping Center, fine. All before it, awful. All after it, burned. And the whole shopping center, fine. I mean, it's just weird how the fire, the winds must have blown it around. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it. You know, maybe it jumped the fire jump, which sometimes that happens. But yeah, there are there are pockets where you like, how did this place survive? And the place right next to it burned to the ground. Uh, Jay here uh, says there has to be something learned what actually happened and how is this not going to happen again? These people cannot die in vain. Uh, it takes tragedy sometimes. I can guarantee you that they will learn lessons uh, from this and uh, will improve with time. Uh, one final note, the Hawaiian uh, Electric Company is now rebuilding already sections of the grid. Uh, and obviously, it's going to be a tremendous amount of work to get all the infrastructure uh, back up. Uh, COE, let's put up the uh, QR code for the store one more time. As that's the QR code for our merch store, for STS's merch store. There are STS Loves Maui shirts. Again, all that's going to go to the Hawaii Community Foundation. Wish I could say that the way uh, Micah says it with his native tongue. Um, and then let's put up the QR code for Micah's organization, the Hawaii Community Foundation. You can go directly to them um, if you want to donate to them. Uh, we'll put that up, the QR code for the Hawaii Community. There it is. Um, just want to thank all of our guests for coming together very last second. A uh, big shout out to Steve Gregory, uh, an amazing uh, reporter uh, behind the mic for KFI in Los Angeles, as you heard. He's covering the first ever tropical storm in California. And on the day that happens, there was a 5.1 quake uh, in Ojai, California, not far from L.A. So he's all over the place and we appreciate him spending time today. Detective Phil Waters, who uh, bowed at a church, uh, he's investigated more than 400 homicides. Big, big heart, and uh, he's thinking and praying for the island. And, of course, we've got Sherry Palumbo, uh, better known as Carpe Diem, as a member of STS Nation. And I think she just bounced off. So uh, Cami Clark with Maui Now. Uh, she is a reporter. She was a reporter here in South Florida. You can tell a very sensitive and caring one. Uh, working for Maui now, where 100% of what they do is focused on covering news that matters to their local community, which needs it um, now more than ever. 
Cammy, your final thoughts uh, amid this tragedy. Well, thank you very much for doing this. And uh, Micah's organization is very deserving of everything. They do wonderful work. So thank you, everybody, for giving. And uh, goes without saying, a huge thanks. Uh, mahalo to Micah Kane. He's CEO and president of the Hawaii Community Foundation. Uh, it is the state's largest and oldest foundation. Uh, Micah, thanks so much for doing this. Any parting uh, thoughts, any way that uh, SDS Nation and, and the greater uh, population here on the mainland can help you? Just, just a lot of gratification for organizations like yourself, spreading the word, Joel, and getting the support out there, keeping the good thoughts and prayers and keeping the resources coming. Can't thank you enough for giving this opportunity to us. So just a lot of mahalo. Mahalo nui no, mahalo nui lo kako. Uh, and these are some of the faces of the victims. These are not the I, I officially identified victims, but either family or people that know these people. One of them is Kiro, a uh, 14-year-old Kiro Fuentes, who was found clutching his dog, uh, burned in his house uh, while his parents, adopted parents, were out working. That's a, a really tragic story. Uh, hopefully uh, his loss and the others, uh, as other people said, will not be in vain, and I don't think it will be. Obviously, their lives lost way too soon. We're thinking of all of them. Please help in any way that you can. Just a very quick programming note. Tomorrow is 7 p.m. Eastern time. We're back on the true crime uh, bandwagon. We're covering uh, the latest in the Rachel Morin trial with uh, an amazing panel, including a Baltimore detective and uh, Joe Jackalone, who's been all over that story and the Long Island serial killer. Uh, until then, love you, America. Love you, Hawaii. Love you, Maui. Love you, China. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs>